Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Your body is under assault all the time from viruses, potential cancers, and so forth. Fortunately, you've got your own private security force on duty 24-7. This is Colleen Chaddix for the Yale Office of Public Affairs. I'm talking with Dr. Peter Cresswell, an expert on that security force, your immune system. So in order for my security guard to be any good, he's got to be able to recognize the difference between a robber and the nice lady who comes in to water my plants. How does our immune system do that? How does it pick out what's dangerous and what's not? So that, that really works at two levels. There's a, um, there's a level where you have extreme differences, where you know, your robber might look like an octopus or something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that would be um, a situation where there'd be a fairly easy recognition. And actually, my late Yale colleague, Charlie Janeway, was one of the people who first sort of proposed the idea that there were what are called innate mechanisms of immunity, which can really tell the difference between a bacterium and yourself, mm-hmm. because the difference is so extreme. And uh, my current Yale colleague, Ruslan Metsitov, um, is probably one of the world's experts at that, in, at the mechanisms involved in innate immunity. Um, in, in other situations, you might have, uh, for example, in the case where you have a viral infection, uh, the differences aren't so great. The viruses make proteins, and they mm-hmm. make things which are very, very similar to the things we make ourselves. In that situation, you have uh, something called adaptive immunity, which sort of kicks in and takes care of those. And that's mediated by T cells. And the T cells um, recognize uh, small elements of viruses, small parts of their proteins. And because viral proteins are actually different from mammalian human proteins, Mm -hmm. the T cells can actually uh, determine the difference. So the pre- protein is the key. The protein, the protein is the key to being recognized by T cells. Absolutely, yes. Can you talk a little bit about your own discoveries in this recognition process? Right. So, so the way the system works is that, if, for example, if you have a virus that uh, infects a cell, then the cell will begin to produce proteins which are not uh, the proteins it normally makes, and there are a set of molecules within that cell, within all our cells. Uh, which are called actually MHC molecules, which stands for Major Histocompatibility Complex Molecules. In humans, actually, they're called HLA molecules. And those molecules uh, bind small fragments of those proteins, which are called peptides. And the complexes of the MHC molecules and the peptides uh, are expressed on the surface of the cell. And if those peptides are derived from viral proteins, then T cells can actually recognize them. There are receptors on the surface of T cells that recognize these uh, HLA peptide complexes and then activate the T cells and uh, make them, uh, in, the ca- in some cases, kill the virally mm-hmm. infected cell. So my own uh, work for many years has been involved on the, in the preci- understanding the precise mechanisms that regulate the, uh, the, the way these uh, HLA molecules are put together with small peptides inside the cell and then expressed on the outside of the cell. The, the, the phenomenon in general is called antigen processing. That's basically uh, what we've been working on now for probably 20 years, trying to understand how that works. And if you could figure out how it works, could you conceivably help us be better at it? I think it's a, you know my, that's never been my drive. Uh, my own drive is a basic scientist to understand how it works. Mm-hmm. It's, it's basically the nuts and bolts of it. And, uh, 
you know, if you have if you have a clock, you like to figure out how the clock works. And right. It's the same principle, trying to understand how it works. Uh, sometimes it can go it can go wrong, and in perhaps one might be able to use our discoveries about how it works to sort of try to to um, to fix it if it does go wrong. Obviously, the immune system does let some dangers through because we get sick. Mm-hmm. Is it a case of some immune systems just not functioning very well, or are some pathogens really sort of masters of disguise? Uh, both of those things are true. I mean, some people have genuine immune deficiency diseases, and uh, they are uh, impaired in their ability mm-hmm. to recognize uh, these MHC peptide complexes because they, their T cells don't work properly. But it is also true that, that, uh, that some organisms actually do a pretty good job of evading the immune system. Um, a particular set of viruses, which people will be familiar with, with uh, herpes viruses. Mm-hmm. So these will be, as a family, these viruses encompass thing all, all the way from things from Epstein-Barr virus, which causes infectious mononucleosis, um, to herpes simplex, which causes you know, cold sores and genital herpes, mm-hmm. and cytomegalovirus, which also makes people sick. These particular kinds of viruses, uh, when you once are infected with them, they basically never go away. You, you're stuck with them forever, and they just live within you. And uh, they have evolved ways of evading this uh, T-cell-mediated immunity, which actually allows them to persist. They don't actually cause you much harm in general, except right. for an occasional flare-up with herpes simplex. Um, they're sort of almost like um, almost symbionts or parasites, which just sort of live in you and don't really do you that much damage, but they, they sort of use you as a way for... Uh, moving around and perhaps for then spreading to someone else, like in the case of you know, mono and freshmen in college, kind of. Right. But if we could figure out why they're so good at it, we could conceivably figure out how viruses that are, are indeed damaging to us y- Yes. In fact, that's triumph. absolutely right. Uh, the viruses actually are educational. I mean, right. they, they spent million years, millions of years of evolution figuring out the things that we spent the last 25 years trying to figure out. So uh, we're, we're playing catch up, but they do take, they teach us a lot. Your work gets cited by people who talk about cancer vaccines. And obviously we don't want to mislead listeners into thinking this is anything that's going to happen anytime soon. But potentially, how could the basic discoveries that you're making be used to develop vaccines? I think you have to be a little careful in your, first of all, I think it's important that people understand what's meant by a vaccine in terms of cancer. So Mm -hmm. when people think of vaccines, they think of childhood vaccinations for measles and mumps. Um, That's not generally what people are talking about when they're talking about cancer vaccines, with maybe maybe one exception is the cervical cancer vaccine. Right, the HPV. Uh, Exactly. But but you're preventing the virus. Exactly. In that situation, you're, you're attacking the virus. But in the case of cancer vaccines, what you're really talking about is not immunizing people to prevent them from ever getting cancer. It's an attempt to generate vaccines which you can immunize patients who have cancer with to activate their immune system. So it's a way of trying to get the immune system to recognize recognize a cancer that someone already has. So it's a different meaning of right. the word vaccine. But in, in, given having said that, it is true that there, there's de- this system that we work on is definitely involved in regulating... Uh, immune responses to cancer. And in fact, uh, some of the best evidence for that is that some cancers which grow out, which actually generate disease in in people and mm-hmm. in, in mice, in experimental systems, but even in people, uh, are, are, have actually lost some of the elements which you need to make these 
MHC peptide complexes mm-hmm. that I discussed, which is, and the reason for that is because of a sort of Darwinian selection, which is going on in the body of a patient. So you have a cancer and you can make a T cell response to the cancer mm-hmm. and the T cell will then attack the cancer and perhaps keep it under control until a variant cancer escapes that T-cell right. selection and grows out. So, th- so that, that, that's definitely some of the best evidence that there is a genuine immune response involved in recognition of a number of cancers. I wouldn't say every cancer, but certainly a number of cancers. So it is conceivable that by revving up that response, one could, in fact, um, uh, improve uh, immune recognition of cancer and, and, and have some kind of therapeutic benefit. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of work going on on that right now. We're doing some, lots of people are doing uh, those kinds of experiments to try to, um, to sort of develop that technology so that it's really useful. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, well, it's a heavily studied area, mm-hmm. a very expensive area of study with, uh, with some, some promise, I would say. And that's actually a really good illustration of the potential of immunobiology. Fairly new discipline, but traditionally, medicine has treated us by attacking our diseases as opposed to Mm -hmm. shoring up the body's natural defenses, Mm -hmm. which is what you're doing. Say 20 years from now, how do you think medical care is going to be different because of the work that's being done in immunobiology now? That's a really excellent, it's a really good question, which I wish wish I could answer with accuracy. Um, (laughs) Well, give it a shot. I can give it a shot. It's not not entirely up. There are certain things one can imagine. Uh, you can imagine mobilizing T cells, for example. You can imagine imagine expanding T cells much more rapidly by 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 cytokines or by by, by some kind of uh, some kind of soluble molecule which makes and them grow. A cytokine is kind of a protein messenger. A cytokine is a protein yeah. messenger which which basically attracts T cells and induces T cells to develop in a particular way and develop a certain set of of functions. So you could move T cells along a particular pathway, which would make them more active in a certain situation. Um, there are more and more uh, uh, sort of antibody-based thera- therapies which are around, which obviously is an, is an immunological outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, uh, B-cell lymphomas can be attacked by rituxan, which is an antibody which recognizes B-cells. Herceptin is another similar Specifically, antibody. Specifically, so recognizes. you don't get that overall systemic sickness right, that right. you get with traditional chemo. Exactly. The idea is to try to attack a particular tumor very, very directly or a particular cell type very, very directly from which the tumor is derived so you don't have these these obviously massively toxic effects that mm-hmm. normal conventional chemotherapy has. So I think we can imagine, we can expect that there'll be more and more development along those lines. We can also, uh, less from my work, but more from the sort of ongoing work in native immunity, uh, imagine that vaccines will get better, that there will be better and safer vaccines, which will activate an immune response more effectively than, than the current uh, vaccines which we have. And of course, it's currently nowadays it's extremely difficult to get a new vaccine on the market because of all the potential side effects involved in using heat-killed viruses, for example, or things which one would normally immunize with. So, knowing the components that one can add to a vaccine mix uh, would perhaps give us safer and more uh, predictable vaccines against different kinds of organisms. But I'm getting that even without all this therapeutic potential, you'd still be doing the work you're doing. Oh, absolutely. I, I do it because that's uh, sort of a passion. I think most scientists do this because they really are interested in understanding how things work at some level of detail. The level of detail differs depending on what kind of scientist you are. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's really about understanding mechanisms and solving puzzles. And that's sort of what has always kept me going and what I imagine will continue to keep me going. 
Thank you. We've been talking with Dr. Peter Cresswell, a professor of immunobiology, cell biology, and dermatology at Yale. He is also a Howard Hughes Medical Institute investigator.